0: Today on Anchored in the Word.
1: You know, we don't have to worry that somehow Christianity can be disproven, folks. It can't. It's real. Jesus is real. He can't be explained away. Oh yeah, maybe if the whole world got together and said, there is no God. Fine, but that doesn't change the fact that there is a God. And he's revealed himself through Jesus Christ and he's coming back to judge the world. He's, that's not gonna change just because everybody gets together and votes and says, Yeah, well, there is no God. Come on. When I'm ignorant,
0: is Anchored in the Word, the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Coastlands in Eatontown, New Jersey, with our pastor and teacher, Bill Beckelman. The society we live in is so entrenched in its own blind misconceptions of right and wrong that it's easy to lose sight of God. How does God say we should live our lives? In today's message, Pastor Bill will show us that God's perspective is the only one that matters. If it grieves his heart, it ought to deeply grieve ours as well. At the close of Pastor Bill's message, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Anchored in the Word. Subscribe to the podcast or simply get in touch with us. Now here's Pastor Bill in Acts chapter 17 with today's edition of Anchored in the Word.
1: Bill would be the first to tell you it wasn't so much this great orator, it was that it was the one that gave him the message. He gave the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins and he rose from the dead. He's resurrected. In other words, he's alive and you can have a personal relationship with him. You can live with him for all eternity. If you'll just give your life to him, if you'll just turn from your sins and turn to him, that was his message. Some, you know, how many billions of people or whatever I, I just saw an in, a interview of Billy from 2010, because Billy's been incapacitated for quite some time. You know that, right? And I read by someone said he was in and out of a coma or in and out of consciousness for the last several months. But he died at home in Montreat, but he went to be with the Lord from Montreat. But 2010, which is what, eight years ago now, there was an interview given by Billy. He was an old man then. He was 92 at the time. And he had that, still had a nice head of gold of, of, of the silver hair. And, and he looked... Old, but yet sharp. And and a great question was asked by this interview. This is a great question to ask anybody, especially an older person in 92. This was the question. Do you have any regrets? Billy Graham, can you imagine asking Billy Graham, are there any regrets? And you know what Billy said? And it's interesting to me because, as I've already stated, when you think of Billy Graham, I think of all the people that he preached the gospel to and how many people came to Christ as a result of him and all these people. And it seems impressive to to man of that, wow, right? This is what Billy said. Yeah, he says, I have some regrets. If I had it to do over again, I wouldn't have taken as many speaking engagements. Isn't that what we're talking about? Isn't that how we were kind of judging the great Billy Graham by how many people that he spoke to? He said, I wouldn't have taken as many speaking engagements, but then he said, He said, I would have spent more time in meditation than prayer with the Lord. And then he he said, I would have just told him how much I loved him. I would have just sat with him and told him, just wanted to sit with him in meditation and tell the Lord how much I love him. Wow. I was getting revelation by watching that, thinking at the end of his, you know, this was again in 2010. And I thought about it later. I said, yeah, well being bedridden is a lot of time for meditation, isn't it? No more speaking engagements after that. I'm not saying, you get what I'm saying? I'm sure he had that. God answered his prayer. God gave him all that he could handle. And that idea of, I'm sure, of just meditating with the Lord, because by the way, that's what's going to happen when we're in eternity. We'll be able to sit and tell the Lord how much we love him. Yeah, but yeah, 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 but you know, we don't have time for that, do we? We were so busy. We are such a busy time doing this and doing that. That's what was happening in Athens. That's one of the things that happens that the devil uses is we're too busy. We're too busy for all this stuff. We're too busy. We got to go here. We got to go there. Even if you're Billy Graham and to go there, you're not just going there on vacation. You're going there to preach the gospel. But Paul found himself in the midst of this idol worship. He saw the condition of the people. And he went right to it, and he had to go tell them about Jesus. He had to tell them about Jesus. And I would say to you, verse 16, by the way, doesn't happen. You don't read about that in the Bible. This is specific revelation about where you are, where you're at. God opened his eyes and showed him behind the scenes of of what was going on in that city. And then he had the means to do something about it. He could tell them about Jesus. He took every opportunity. That's what we see in verse 17. And Paul got revelation in verse 16, and his response was to tell others about Jesus. He realized the importance. Time is short. I got to tell as many people as I can. So he went in the synagogues. He went into the marketplace, and he, he was there, and he knew what his purpose was, what his goal was so to tell others about Christ. Verse 18 says, then the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, the people in the marketplace, encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? In other words, they didn't understand what he was saying. It sounded like babble to them. It was babble to them. And they weren't getting it. You see, their eyes weren't open. It wasn't revelation to them. It wasn't clear to them. And others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. That was foreign to them. And all their... Altars that they had this idea of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the fact that He is alive, He died for your sins, and, and then He rose from the dead, He's alive. That was very foreign to them. Though people have heard that story today, the idea of Jesus Christ being alive, when you think of the resurrection, the truth of the matter is it just means that He's alive. He was dead, and now He's alive. He was dead. Now he's alive forevermore. You know, the, the, the famous thing that was said, I mentioned it last week about our vice president. He was shamed or whatever it was. For, not shame, but he said somebody was mocking him because he said he heard from Jesus Christ. Jesus said something to him or whatever that was characterized. And somebody said, he's got mental illness. Somebody on TV that, you know, he's got mental illness somehow because the idea of God communicating to man is foreign. There's a God you can't see and yet he talks. And you can hear him? Come on, you must be ill, right? You must be crazy is what she was saying. You must be crazy. Folks, don't think too badly of her. She just doesn't have that. She, she's looking at the, at the world through the natural man's lens, right? And, and that's where they come up with these, these ideas that don't make any sense whatsoever because they, don't have, they need revelation. They need to, and it's all revelation if you're a non believer starts with Jesus Christ. That's the first revelation you must have and be introduced to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's how we can change the world. Not by running for office to be the President of the United States. That's a great thing, and everybody else, and maybe a Christian will do that. But even more important than that, influential than that, is Christ's influence on the world through his church, through his believers. You're the ambassadors for Christ if you're, if you're a Christian. So he's got these, in verse 18, these philosophers now have encountered him in the marketplace, and they don't understand what he's saying. Um, he's now speaking about the resurrection in Jesus Christ. And says, verse 19, And they took, they took him and brought him to the Oropagus, Mars Hill that is, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? Like, let's go to this, let's have a symposium, a forum, and let's talk this thing, let's talk this thing out. Let's, you know, back and forth with it. He says, for you, verse 20, are bringing some strange things to our ears. Strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. What I like about verse 20 with these people anyway, it seemed like they were open to the truth. They wanted to hear some ideas that were not their own. We're living in a time where that's not the case, generally speaking, right? People do not want to hear new ideas. They want to hear, they got their own ideas and they've embraced their ideas. And if you, matter of fact, if your ideas are too different than theirs, they don't want you to be able to tell your ideas at all. And that's just what's happening in our culture. And people are shut off to to new things. And, And that's the way Satan wants them to be. You know, we don't have to worry that somehow Christianity can be disproven, folks. It can't. It's real. Jesus is real. He can't be explained away. Oh, yeah, maybe if the whole world got together and said, there is no God. Fine, but that doesn't change the fact that there is a God. And he's revealed himself through Jesus Christ, and he's coming back to judge the world. That's not going to change just because everybody gets together and votes and says, yeah, there is no God. Come on. It, the, the universe is run by God, not by, not by man. We're the creation. That's part of the problem. Man has a, 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 an idea of, of, over, of self-importance. Like somehow man is the most important thing in the universe. That's called humanism. where the humans are the most important thing. We're the center of the universe. Humanism. And ideas come from that. No, God is the center of the universe. He's the one that's over everything. But these guys at least want to hear verse 20. Verse 21 says, for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing, something different, you know, that idea, new and improved. I just want to hear something different, something to tickle my ears, right? Something, oh, that's new and novel. And the idea of Jesus Christ is not new and novel. He's been around a long time, and we're now 2,000 years into the church age thereabouts, so this isn't any, anything new, but it's still the most powerful message in the world. God has chosen to get behind that message of when we talk about Jesus Christ and his resurrection, him being alive, and to use that to open people's eyes to the reality of God. In other words, give them revelation through talking about Jesus. And there's always a response. And Paul's in the midst of this response to this revelation, and also the people that are speaking to Paul. They're inviting him to come somewhere else to speak, thinking probably they're going to hear something new and novel. And he's going to just talk about Jesus. Verse 22 says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Oropagus, Mars Hill there. Men of Athens, he says, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. And then he says, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, all these altars that they that they had made there to... Gods, he says, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. And someone say, Paul, that is brilliant. That's brilliant, man. You 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 take. and he says, This God, the unknown God, I want to tell you about him. I thought, that's revelation. God did that. God gave him that insight to see that. And I'm sure Paul would be the first if he were here, he'd tell you, yeah, that was something that God put on his heart. Now, he was ready to do it. He was, he was, he was willing to do it, but, but through that time of just sitting before the Lord, the Lord just, boom, showed him that. Take that unknown God and tell them about me. Therefore, he says, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. And as I said earlier, God has done everything that we're going to see this now. He is in the business of revealing himself to people. And if you're here in the Christian today, it's because God loved you so much that he revealed his son to you. However, we all have different testimonies, right? How he did it. And some of us, we were hard studies. It took us longer than other people, you know? But he loves so much that he, he, he puts people on our paths. He'll allow circumstances, this and that and everything else to, to, to bring us to a place where we see him for who he is. So he's telling them now about this unknown God. And I want you to to see as we're looking at this unknown God, as Paul is explaining now about this unknown God, unknown to them. Not unknowable, but unknown. He's a knowable God. He's a personal God, and he wants you to know him. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Jesus said that. And they know me. They hear my voice, and they follow me. In other words, he was saying it's personal, it's real, it's personal. And Paul was trying, he wanted them in all their religiousness to know God, to know Jesus. And so now he's going to start explaining this God. And I, and I hope that you're challenged by what he's about to say about the unknown God, because he's going to tell us, give us some insights about who this God is that we serve. He's, he's huge, by the way. And and, and he's so big, and we sometimes try to reduce him down to a God maybe that we can understand. I don't know, but he is vast. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. But praise the Lord that he somehow at least is going to now give us a little insight, some revelation about who God is. Look at verse 24. He says, the first three letters are G-O-D, God. Now, that word, they were acquainted with it because they had many of them. Many gods. By the way, an idol is anything that gets in the way. Anything that gets in the way of your relationship with the true and the living God, that's an idol. He says, God, who made the world and everything in it. So he's the creator. Now listen, that may seem like a simple thing. It's the first thing we read about in the Bible. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made it out of nothing. Listen, nobody can do that. Magicians are liars. They just try to trick you with your eyes. They can't do that. They can't make things materialize. Only God can make something out of nothing. Man, in his creativity, he made this building. But check it out. He used God's trees to do it. And he also had to get the, other, the bricks. Where do you get that, Where do you get that from? You got to get it out of the earth. Everything, God made the stuff, and we've now rearranged it, prepared it, put it in an oven, sawed it, cut it, sanded it, painted it. Listen, but we started off with something that God made. Even though man is involved in it, in the process, nobody can make something materialize out of thin air like God did. He created everything, it says. He made the world and everything in it. That's all you knew about God. Come on, that's pretty spectacular, isn't it? Come on, he made some of you are creative, some of you are artistic, some of you can build things, and I, I like you know I like building things. And then when you're finished, just kind of looking at it and say, "Wow," and that's kind of, that's okay to do. I don't think I'm I'm worshiping at that point. But listen, he gave he gives the ability for people to be able to do that. We notice that, don't we? Some of us are very artistic, and you can see. When somebody creates something, you're like, wow. And so we get this, this benefit when we, when we create something. But listen, we always created from material that was already here. Secondly, the ability that you have was given to you by God. You, you've been made by God. He made you. And so the first thing we see about him that is not small, he was able to create everything that we see. He made the world and everything in it. Wow. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth. He's over everything. He's over everything. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And then he says, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. That speaks to the Jews and also speaks to all these altars that they'd made that they had all around them. He does not dwell there, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. See, Sometimes we make God small like man, like we're needy, so somehow God's needy. Like some people think this about God. Well, the reason he created man was because he needed, he was lonely. Some people think that. God was lonely, so because he, he does have fellowship with man. God's not lonely. There's the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. There's plenty for them for all eternity. That's that would be enough. I will guarantee the reason God created you is that you could experience him. What does that sound kind of what kind of a person is that? Well, that's who he is. He is such a great, a great God that it's just a great thing that he could he could create people so they could experience him. Now, there's none of you that should think of yourself that way. You're the best friend. That it's just, you know, your friends are just happy to have you as a friend because of who you are. It's just you're the greatest thing since whatever. We can't say that about ourselves because we're sinners saved by grace, but God that's who he is. That's why he created. But he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need your money. He, he doesn't want your time. He, he doesn't need your love. In other words, he won't be less of a God if, he, if you don't love him. He wants it, though. He desires it. He, he's a loving God, and he, he, he is love. And so he wants to have that relationship with you, that personal relationship with you. And he wanted that with the people in Athens. But he doesn't need anything. He, God doesn't need anything. But instead, he gives. Look what it says. He gives to all life, breath, and all things. See, he's a giver. God's a giver. When we look at him, he is the God who gives and keeps on giving. And Paul knew that about him. And then he says, verse 26, now, this is going to give some insight into what God has done for you. Like that, if you've ever asked the question I ask, God, why didn't you send to my path? Here's what I want to say to you. It's going to tell us in verse 26. God has already done everything he could possibly do, not just for you, not just for those of you that have received Jesus Christ into your, into your life, but he's done it for every single person. What about the pygmies in Borneo? I'm not used to that. I don't know if there are such a thing or there have ever been such a thing, but that idea, I know what that idea means. And I would say to you, yes, those people too. Verse 26 is for everyone, no matter who you are, when you live, that verse speaks to everyone who's ever lived. And what that verse means, we're going to talk about in a second, but here's what it means, that he's done everything he could possibly do to every human being that's ever been born to put them in a place a time and a place where they could find him. In other words, I'll use this terminology. It's a terrible one, but I can't think of another one right now. He stacked the deck. He did everything he could to, to make it so you could be a winner, so you could know him. That's what winning is, knowing him. He's done everything, man. Let's look at it. Let's look. Here's what it says. First thing, he's made from one blood every nation of men. First of all, here's what I want to say to you we all have common ancestors. Don't waste your time on money on these ancestry things. We all go back to Adam and Eve. I'm going to tell you that right now. That's where you're going. You're going to find the beginning, don't you? It come, we come from Adam and Eve, every single one of us. We're all related. Yeah. That's right. We're all family. That's right. And then some of you say, well, my people came over here on the Mayflower on the boat. Well, no, our people came over here on the ark. It's true, isn't it? I'm not making this stuff up. We're all related. And, and, and this is this is one of the biggest problems that we have in our culture right now. It's called racism. And what verse twenty six beginning tells us, there isn't such thing as different races. I mean we're all related. We're all related. There's one race. It's the human race. God made all of us, and, and we're all related. Yeah, but we look different. We act different. Yeah, that's right. But we're all related. We're all brothers and sisters, you could say, in that regard. We, you know what? There would be, whole, there'd be a whole bunch of less problems in the world if we, if we acknowledge just one fact and says, yeah, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all the same tribe, and the tribe is humankind, right? If we had that understanding, it's the truth, by the way. If we live by that understanding, that would cut off a lot of our problems right there. We're all from the same tribe, and it's the tribe of humankind. I would knock down a lot of walls, but the point is, that's the truth of the matter. That's the truth. And everything else is a lie. He's made from one blood every nation of men. Look what he says to dwell on all the face of the earth, all right? And then it says, and he has, look at this, he has determined, he has, the, God has determined their pre appointed times.
0: We're so glad you joined us today in our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. We pray Pastor Bill Beckelman's message has been an encouragement, that you're finding strength in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. For more teachings from Pastor Bill, we invite you to visit our website at anchoredintheword.com. You can listen to and download a wide range of previous broadcasts that Pastor Bill has shared from God's Word. Did you know you can take these teachings with you on the go as well? We've created a mobile app to allow you to have sound doctrine available wherever you and your smart device happen to be. This is a great way to turn the mundane tasks of life into a faith-building, Jesus-edifying time. Search for Calvary Chapel Coastlands in your app store to download. We'd love to hear how Anchored in the Word has touched you personally, so please feel free to give us a call at 732-544-2225. Let us know, too, how we can be lifting you up in prayer. We're honored to be able to do this for our listeners. That number again is 732-544-2225. You can also connect with us on Facebook. Find a link at anchoredintheword.com. That's all we have time for today. From all of us on the production team, we want to say thanks for joining us. May you be moored in sound doctrine and anchored in the Word.